today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The uh, As we were mentioning just a tad earlier, the cl- uh, clerk to the Privy Council yesterday said that uh, he fears someone will be assassinated during the upcoming federal election due to the rhetoric and the tone of public discussion that he is seeing in both social media and uh, I guess just various uh, outlets uh, around uh, probably worldwide. Uh, between this and uh, the Jody Wilson-Raybould story, uh, it was quite a day for the clerk to the Privy Council. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Peter Griff, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. He's with us now. Peter, thanks for the time, as always. Much appreciated. Good afternoon. So, Peter, can you tell us, or those that don't know, what does the clerk to the Privy Council do? What sort of responsibility is this? Uh, well, it's a really central responsibility. It's one of the, if you like, the right hand of the Prime Minister, uh, but not in a partisan sense, but more making sure that the whole bureaucracy, so the whole public service, uh, works together in an efficient manner to implement the agenda of the government of the day. So it's a way of making sure that the fact we have a nonpartisan bureaucracy doesn't get in the way of the people we elect being able to do what we elected them to do. And so in a practical sense, uh, it really involves settling beasts between ministers and between uh, different departments to make sure that uh, when things uh, come up, they get dealt with in a manner that uh, doesn't really burst into the public uh, consciousness, but also make sure that you know a program that gets developed gets delivered in a way that's going to be uh, efficient and effective. Uh, obviously, yesterday speaking uh, before the Justice Committee uh, in regard to uh, the SNC-Lavalin situation with Jody Wilson-Raybould, uh, he, he basically said that he didn't understand how she could fo- uh, fo- uh, possibly have felt pressured, that there was no um, over uh, or undue pressure that, that was uh, uh, forced her way, then went on to say that he's very concerned about the public discourse in regard to politics and fears that someone might get shot in the uh, next federal election campaign. Your thoughts on weighing in on these two, two issues? Well, I mean, on the first one, uh, I mean, it's the reason why he was uh, convoked in front of that committee was precisely to try and uh, clear up that situation. Um, I'm not sure if it did clear it up. It certainly uh, gave one side of the story uh, and, you know, puts to the the forefront that a big question, I think, for both that committee, but then Canadians as a whole when making sense of this is to say, well, when, you know, we we do have the idea that the the, um, Attorney General should not be pressured in making decisions about uh, prosecutions because we don't want uh, the executive, so the elected government, to be able to use the prosecutorial power to, to reward their friends or punish their enemies. So, you know, that's important, but at what point does, you know, uh, talking about the context and telling people about potential repercussions of their decisions, you know, at what point does that kind of go from being a talk about uh, context to one of being undue pressure? And uh, we'll see, I guess, when uh, uh, former Minister uh, Wilson-Raybould appears before the committee next week, what her take was of those conversations. I mean, the other thing about people getting shot in the federal election seemed uh, a non-sequitur. I mean, I don't know if this was a way to try and turn the page on the whole Wilson-Raybould thing. I mean, certainly from the point of view of the clerk, there was uh, it was a non-issue. There was nothing to look at there. So maybe he was trying to uh, convince people to look elsewhere. But, you know, also for someone who just a couple of years ago was in the media uh, calling uh, students protesting higher fees at Carleton University, brown shirts and Maoists, uh, to then say that uh, the social media discussion is too extreme these days is uh, also a bit rich. Uh, that being said, well-respected, has worked uh, through various uh, governments over time. Uh, is this out of character for him? Well, I mean, it is a bit out of character to have someone who's in that role uh, be 
in a sense, uh, so public and 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 to engage in, you know, I mean, obviously you can make the argument that this discussion about the level of our political discourse is really just a discussion of the public good, uh, and I think it is a discussion of the public good. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, the the clerk of the Privy Council generally tries to be a pretty hidden person, despite being the most powerful bureaucrat in Canada. Uh, and having the role of overseeing the public service, uh, you know, their view is that they're a non-political actor, um, a, a non-political actor that's often in a difficult situation because they have to deal with the elected government and and be the sort of junction point between that and an unelected bureaucracy. And so as a result, they really do try to keep out of the public eye. So the extent to which this was a pretty high-profile set of of uh, announcements and pronouncements uh, was a bit surprising. Uh, again, uh, supposed to be nonpartisan. When the prime minister comes out and supports what he said, uh, is that doubling down here? Well, I mean, it does. You know, slightly politicize uh, the clerk in that sense. Uh, I mean, the clerk, I think, is put in a difficult position in these situations again because they do have to. Uh, be that linkage point. They they see that there's an elected government that wants to do something, and they have to, you know, try and make a point to make sure that the bureaucracy does that, <laughs> because that's what you know the the government was elected for. If the bureaucracy doesn't do that, we have a, a democratic problem. So they always have a political aspect, but you know, generally they don't want that sort of form of really overt politicization because it makes people ask questions about to what extent are they really uh, performing in in a situation of neutrality. But again, it's someone who's you know worked for uh, both conservative and uh, liberal governments at you know very uh, high positions of responsibility. So I mean, it's not someone who would uh, doubt their professional integrity. Is this the government trying to prepare us for what Jody Wilson-Raybould will say? It looked like uh, midweek that things were uh, there was a kumbaya moment going on, and and he was apologizing for other things completely unrelated, and 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 then of course she stood up in the house and said that she was going to speak her mind to thunderous applause uh, from the opposition. Is this the government trying to um, sort of neutralize what she's going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had pressure, of course. There's pressure, but th- that's the job. That's the gig. There's lots of pressure in these jobs. Can't she take it? What's the problem? And is that man speak? Well, uh, you just spoke it, so I guess it is man speak, Scott. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, certainly it is trying to, you know, really in situations such as this, the Auditor General, you know, when there are prosecutions that will have a, an important political and social impact, uh, we'd expect them to uh, bring them up with their cabinet colleagues or to seek advice to get a sense of. Uh, the views of the people around her, but we would expect, uh, you know, the attorney general to really carry the carry the file, uh, and not have people uh, sort of jump in and begin to ask her how that file is going and what they're doing on it. Uh, nevertheless, I think the clerk is trying to make the the case that, uh, you know, it's a it's a natural to have these forms of discussions and interactions, and they aren't undue pressure, and so they're trying to, I think, make it seem like it would take a very direct form of saying specifically, you know, you've decided X. But no, we've got to we've got to cut this uh, deal with S and C Lavalin. So you'd better change your mind, or else I'm going to fire you. I mean, they're sort of setting, in other words, a very high bar for what would count as undue pressure, when in fact they may have already gone beyond it. But you know, again, in these situations, as you know, the, some uh, some other situations like this, people looking at them say, well, at the end of the day, it's a pretty subjective subjective measure. You know, at what point when you say there's really grave consequences of your decision, <laughs> uh, does that become? Uh, you know, uh, a veiled threat, or does uh, you know, are you putting too much pressure and reminding people continually about the number of jobs that are on the line? 
uh, even if that's not a relevant criteria in the law around these uh, these kinds of forms of uh, uh, you know special agreements. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think in a way the government's trying to prepare us by setting a very high bar, uh, and we'll see uh, what Wilson Raybould has to say about her understanding of where the bar is and why she feels that uh, either the clerk or Jerry Butts or the Prime Minister uh, went beyond what was uh, just and proper, according to, I guess it's the Shawcross Doctrine, as it's talked about, about the independence of the Attorney General. Um, uh, we've certainly heard lots of people offer their opinion on this, and yet to hear from Jody Wilson-Raybould. That being said, uh, uh, Michael Wernick said that she could speak, that she was free to say whatever she wanted to say. Isn't that kind of contradicting what we're all experiencing now? Yeah, in a way. I mean, uh, certainly in a situation such as this, I mean, in a way you could say that it's a non-issue because ultimately the auditor, uh, sorry, the attorney general did not feel so pressured that she changed her mind. She stuck to her guns throughout. Uh, you know, you could, uh, you know, make those kinds of the cases that she had if she felt that the line had been crossed, that there were, you know, sources of recourse, which she didn't follow. So, I mean, it is, it is in that sense in a bit of a gray zone. And in many ways, then it falls to Canadians to make decisions about whether they feel a really important uh, principle of our parliamentary system has been violated or not. But I think ultimately, it's also such a, a theoretical and obscure set of arguments. You know, even if the principle is really important to to protect us from the executive, you know, using their power to, to you know, in a way that would be really self-serving. But I think for most of us, it's probably less important than public services, taxation. Uh, climate change, you know, issues that are going to be much more pressing for us when we go to vote in another seven or eight months. With it appearing that uh, uh, that Wernick was trying to discredit Jody Wilson-Raybould, where does that leave the public's view of of the Privy Council clerk and, and him perhaps overstepping his boundaries, or as many say he has? Well, I mean, again, I think we'll have to see uh, what her uh, event account uh, of events is. I mean, uh, she's certainly, in her own right, a very forceful person. Uh, I think would be able to take a pretty uh, you know, robust conversations and disagreements about what should be done, uh, you know, and to see that within the context uh, of the job. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it does raise questions about whether he's moved the goalposts about thinking about what counts as, uh, you know, undue influence to such an extent that you wonder, is he really upholding the traditions of uh, our parliamentary government and its relationship with the bureaucracy, or is he uh, you know, bending them a bit out of shape to justify his, his actions in this particular case? What do you think she wants out of this? Where is this going? I mean, obviously, um, she's nowhere to be seen, then Butts is gone, she's back in, in the House and such, and speaking and, and uh, on the news and such. What do you think she wants out of this? I actually have find that hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, even before this happened, going back into late last year, uh, she was present in a number of Indigenous communities, being very critical of her own government's actions. You know, in a way that uh, you don't expect in our uh, parliamentary system, where a cabinet is meant to show solidarity and a cabinet minister is meant to support, you know, the actions and position uh, of her government, regardless of uh, their, per- you know, your degree of personal agreement or disagreement with it. So, there's a way in which already uh, she seemed to be breaking from a normal, expected partisan position uh, at that point. So, you know, what exactly the end game is, I'm not sure. Clearly. She's felt a lot of pressure over the past three years to be someone who would uh, deliver on the government's promises around uh, 
the the, uh, the calls in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report and probably felt somewhat let down on that. But what exactly she'd hoped to, uh, to get out of this, I'm not sure. Although clearly there's also an important personal aspect where uh, I suspect she feels she needs a certain amount of vindication for having been shuffled out of a pretty high-profile position and in an interview probably based on uh, reasons that aren't, uh, you know, the, the right ones in terms of refusing to bow to pressure on this SNC-Lavalin file. If she proves her point when she does talk and says, you know, and, and proves to the, the court of public opinion that she was pressured, that's bad for her party. How does she balance that? Well, I mean, that's why I was a bit surprised earlier this week when she came out and said, I'm still a member of the Liberal caucus. Yeah. And then why, and you use the term kumbaya move in a moment, and it, it did seem like it was a way to try and uh, get to a common story where, you know, the government could save face and she could save face and they'd all be yeah. happy again. But, uh, I mean, it is true at the same time that she only joined the Liberal Party about four or five years ago. Uh, presumably was close to it in various ways over the years. But, uh, you know, it held some significant positions independently of that in terms of uh, uh, certain uh, treaty processes in British Columbia as well as within uh, the BC, uh, you know, Federation of First Nations. So uh, clearly, she has other political avenues that she could explore. If this one ultimately seems like a dead end, if she went to Ottawa to try and push for the TRC calls, and she sees it's not happening, even under a government that said it was going to do, kind of move heaven and earth to make them happen, she maybe feels that as a politician, she's better to go back on the outside to put pressure on the government. Is this a tug of war between her and the prime minister? Well, it certainly. At this point, it's easy to sort of see it as a as a kind of a personality clash, where you have a prime minister who uh, either refuses to back down or sees that if he's to admit anything, it would cause people to call for his job. Uh, and it's also easy to see uh, that from the point of view of Wilson Raybould, uh, that she feels that she's lost face. Uh, but also in, in engaging in this process, if, if it was to be shown to the public that Really, her sense of having been treated improperly or for a line being crossed hadn't been crossed, well then, too, I think she would probably come out not looking that good. So I, I presume she also is trying to find a way to make sure that uh, her side of the story is, is well presented next week. Where does this leave the SNC-Lavalin case? Um, at the end of the day, is what's happening with her a distraction from what's happening with them? Uh, I suppose. I mean, you know, it has come It's come up in the past week that, in fact, given the way the law uh, was uh, was written in terms of uh, enabling some kind of form of remediation agreement uh, as opposed to pursuing prosecution, that, you know, SNC-Lavin would probably still not, uh, you know, fit within it. Um, it's hard to know exactly how that would work. But at the same time, given the importance of that firm, uh, both in terms of the view of you know Quebec's economic development and so the Quebec government's interest in its success, uh, also the federal government's interest in its success. I mean, and maybe it pushes it to where it needed to go in the first place, which is to say, you know, if there is a public good in having this kind of firm in place, uh, then the solution isn't to allow it to get around the law. It's to find another way to uh, you know ensure that those kinds of highly skilled consulting. Uh, services that it provides uh, can be provided in a different form. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's a, an issue of industrial policy rather than of trying to jerry-rig uh, the legal system to, to allow people to get away from charges of bribery. You've been uh, studying this for a long time. How do you process the last week or two? Well, uh, in one hand, it seems like a really, you know, one of the longest own goals in the... Uh, <laughs> in the 
in a way, there was not much there. Or uh, I think there would have been a capacity had the government been very clear, even as clear as as uh, Mr. Wernick was yesterday about what it thought had happened. Uh, I think they would have been much further ahead, and, and Canadians might not have asked so many questions about it. Uh, but the fact that, you know, this kind of story that, you know, there was pressure, but it wasn't undue, uh, you know, it takes two weeks to emerge. Uh, it was a real, I think, a, a blow to the government, but also, I mean, a question for Canadians. Again, there's a there's a really important principle here about uh, equality before the law and the executive not using its power uh, in a in a manner to favor its friends or, or hurt its enemies. Um, but again, I don't think Canadians actually understand that very well. I mean, after two weeks, I don't think people really have that at the center of it. They're more interested, again, in SNC-Lavalin or the he-said-she-said said side of the story. So what do you anticipate happening next week? I mean, either she was pressured or not, either she says it or not. Uh, if she does, where does this go? Well, I, I suspect it kind of uh, slowly, you know, she will say something. People will rip their shirts or not rip their shirts to a certain degree, you know, in, in different ways, and then we'll have a budget, and we'll be talking about uh, what was in the budget. Uh, I mean, the, I think the only way that it won't be something that we'll, you know, we'll be chattering about for a few weeks, but it will die away is if there's really uh, some really clear indications of threats uh, or of, you know, inducements that were offered to, to Wilson-Raybould uh, to change her mind on this file, you know, in which case, I mean, it would certainly be people calling for the head of the Prime Minister or of the Clerk of the Privy Council, depending on where the, that pressure came from. Peter Graff has been with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.